Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we've got a classic episode for you about sourdough. Which a lot of you have been writing in about sourdough recently. And we'll get into that more in a second. But also some newer listeners have come in and said, you should definitely do sourdough. And I've been like, oh, wait. Aha, we have. (laughs) Aha, yes. uh, Yes, this episode originally aired in June of 2017, uh, at a time before we knew how to pronounce Pliny. Oh, so long ago. So young, so innocent. So young. We didn't know about Pliny (laughs) and Pliny and the difference. (laughs) So, yes, a lot of people are making sourdough during quarantine. Mm -hmm. It is all over social media. Mm hmm. Celebrities are even in on it. Um, Multiple articles have come out about the psychological benefits of what's called stress baking, um, which makes sense to me. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So it makes sense also that people are making sourdough. And here in the U.S., it has resulted in a run on flour and yeast. I have not been able to find yeast since this started. 
I have found toilet paper, but not yeast. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but but uh, sourdough is useful for that because you don't have to buy yeast. Exactly. You can make your own. Exactly. And I am definitely going to do this. I found my recipe. I'm gonna follow. Oh. I'm gonna. I'm gonna embark on this journey. Yay! Oh, like, do do you have like a GoPro? Can you like, can you like make like a like a time lapse? Oh, a time lapse. Or maybe I just, could. or maybe just set up a. I, I, it wouldn't have to be a GoPro. Like, you could just take a sequence of photos. But <laughs> I could do that as well. It would be the most boring GoPro <laughs> video. But when that like first bubble, you know, appears, yeah. it would be the most exciting oh. thing. <laughs> It'd be so beautiful. I'll I'll definitely keep everyone posted. For a lot of people, the routine of it, from what I've read, it gives you some feeling of control. Like I've got to check on my sourdough starter, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the kneading can be calming. Uh, the process of it, where you have sort of this beginning, middle, end, and then at the hopefully you have a tangible product. When you get to the end, it makes yeah. you feel like you've accomplished something, which you have. You have. You've made. You've made food. And you can eat it, and it will hopefully taste delicious. Hopefully, yeah. Yes, and there's a feeling of community around it as people share tips, failures, successes, recipes, Mm -hmm. these pictures. Um, Some parents are using it as a science and teaching tool. And as we say in this classic episode, kind of like having a pet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of you, I did want to shout out some listeners who have written in about their sourdough starters and experiences. Gilbert sent us a picture of his, courtesy of my starter, The Passion of the Crust. (laughs) Excellent name. (laughs) Also an excellent Uh, name, Jason Sourdough Starter Bubbles. (laughs) And then Grace wrote in with her journey with sourdough when she was in the early stages and kind of nervous about it. I hope it turned out, Grace. Mm -hmm. You can check in. Kenna as well. And then, of course, Jane the Bread Girl, whose listener mail we read a while back, she was embarking on a sourdough journey. And, and remember, if you decide to go on this journey or you're already on it, you can use the discard for all kinds of things. Muffins, crackers, quick breads, pancakes, crepes. Oh, yeah. I found out the um, King Arthur flour website has a recipe for chocolate sourdough cake. Ooh. Right? <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like mad about it. I'm like, okay, all right, we need to figure this out immediately. And by we, I mean me. So, yeah. Well, please share with me because that sounds amazing. (laughs) I'll try to remember to post a link. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Recently, a yeast scientist, Sudeep Argavala, who who is loving this whole thing, by the way, and is using it as a teaching opportunity, (laughs) said, bread is just the beginning. We are now making meatless products with yeast. We have been using yeast to produce our medicines. Yeast is an integral part of how we are going to be solving COVID-19 processes. The way we understand cancer, the way we understand aging, that all comes from yeast. Oh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, so uh, so we're going to get into the episode. We'll have a few updates for you at the end. But for now, let's let former Annie and Lauren take it away. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And our topic for today is sourdough bread. Yes. Sourdough, the bread. I don't know what else it would be, but I'm sure there's oh, something. Humans are real creative. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, and, and, and why sourdough in particular? Well, as it turns out, b- bread is not a small topic of human history. In fact, it is an enormous topic. <laughs> yes. It is uh, 
a very large undertaking just to do sourdough. So not to have a 10-plus-hour episode, we're going to, like, look at different types of bread. And today, sourdough. Um, and bread, on top of having a breadth of information, ha, 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 there's, it's so important to so many different cultures. Oh, yeah. Give us this day our daily bread, or all the idioms, um, like, to earn his bread, or even the etymology of words like companion, which is a combo of two Latin words, meaning someone you'll share your bread with. Oh, the pan in it, I bet. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I didn't realize, and now I'm like... Uh, I'll share my bread with you, Lauren. Oh, I would share my bread with you, Annie. <laughs> oh, okay. I also, oh, this is this is another one that made me really hungry. Um, sourdough mm-hmm. might be my favorite type of bread. Sourdough is delicious. Whenever my mom baked sourdough, I would smell it in my room, and I knew it was going to be a very special, oh, special night. Ah, uh, mm. my, my my mom would make would make a non non sourdough bread. That was always a really good day as well. But um, uh, sourdough, as the name suggests is sour bread. Mm -hmm. And it involves two things that we wind up talking about a lot here on Food Stuff. Uh, Yeast and yeast's fermentation of stuff. Exactly. Uh, Basically, if you leave some wheat flour and water or a lump of unbaked dough out, some naturally occurring lactic acid bacteria and wild yeast get up in there. They get a fermentation party started. And when you add more flour and water to that starter, you can make bread. Uh, the yeast in sourdough, or any bread, really, ha- has enzymes that break some of flour's starches down into sugars. And um, the yeast, which are, you know, single-celled fungi, eat some of those sugars and excrete carbon dioxide and alcohol. Fermentation! Da-da-da-da. Except here, uh, the alcohol is really just a, just a flavoring agent. It helps break down other molecules in the flour that produce all of the amazing flavors and, and smells that you get in bread, all of those aromatics. Um, and the carbon dioxide gas is what will make the bread rise, assuming that you've kneaded and rested the dough so that its remaining starch molecules are are glutinous, a.k.a. like chainy and stretchy, <laughs> rather than just like flurp. Yeah, you don't want flurp in your bread. No. Or generally. <laughs> Sounds like something you want to avoid. <laughs> Always avoid the flurp. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Oh, uh, meanwhile, uh, the lactic acid bacteria, and you'll remember those from our yogurt episode. Yes, yep. yes. They are also eating some of those sugars and excreting, yep, a lactic acid. More bacteria poo. One of Lauren's favorite things. Yes, it makes everything better. Uh, here, it produces the acidity that gives sourdough that distinctive taste. Although, generally speaking, a sourdough does not have to be sour. It right. It just has to be made using wild yeasts and bacteria. Mm-hmm. By the way, the, the longer that you let a sourdough starter, you know, that the flour and water mix or the, or the dough lump kind of sit out, the, the, the more flavor should develop over time. Right. Because you give the bacteria more time to do its thing. More time. I'm learning. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> according to Ed Wood's World Sourdoughs from Antiquity, Authentic Recipes from Modern Bakers, <laughs> quote, a true sourdough is nothing more than flour and water with wild yeast to make it rise and special bacteria to provide the flavor. Uh, bonus, as in yogurt, the lactic acid produced by the bacteria and, and the alcohol produced by the yeast prevent the growth of harmful bacteria in your sitting starter. Um, extra bonus, you can save a lump of your dough, feed it more flour and water, and use it to make more other leavened bread later on. Just like with yogurt, this culture will last for, you know, as long as you keep it alive. 
How long could that be? I I read claims of centuries, and they've been unable to prove it. But, yeah, uh, that's why I'm that's why I'm going on the safe side and saying, saying decades. decades. There's there's at least one San Francisco bakery that claims over a hundred years. Ah. Uh, I suspect I know which one that is, and I think we're going to be talking about them. We will indeed. <laughs> but before we get there, let's let's look at the history. Yeah, a little, a little bit deeper in the history than 100 years ago. Here we go. History. Yes. Bread has been around for, like, ever. The oldest loaf of bread discovered at this point um, was in Switzerland, going back to 3500 or maybe 3700 BCE. History. Yeah, yeah, I saw both dates. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I, I think I saw 3,600 just right smack okay, in the middle. You know, so, yeah, so somewhere that's... in that range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wall paintings and bread remains, which is not the best oh. way to put it, but mm. pretty much the only way I could think of putting it. Sure. Um, indicate that the ancient Egyptians were using sourdough starters to bake leavened bread, possibly going back up to 5,000 years. And kind of like honey, it could go back even further, pre-written words, because it's a thing that just happens. Yeah. And because of that, it was probably discovered by accident when some unsuspecting left-out dough encountered some wild yeast. And it's usually of the genus Saccharomyces or Candida. Yes. I hope I, I got close on that pronunciation. Uh, no, I think that, 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 that was spot on. Yes. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, like, like, a, like early... Um, uh, fermentation of of beer and wine and stuff. Yeah, this is just stuff that was happening in nature. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really hard to pinpoint an original date. No one is like, hey, guys. I was the one <laughs> who discovered the sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> Although whoever it was who, who discovered that this was a thing, it was almost certainly um, related to uh, beer brewing. Yes, um, because... The discovery of beer entailed a lot of experimenting with starter cultures. Um, Baking and beer brewing often happened in the same space, so it could have gone down that way. Or according to Lon Walter's Old West Baking Book, Mm -hmm. a baker got the idea to add either one of the beer starter cultures or beer barm to flour and water to see what happened. Uh, Barm, by the way, is the the scummy kind of foam that that, that develops on top of stuff while it's fermenting. Yes, this also tripped us up in our 600-year-old meat recipe. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. I was also, to be fair, quite drunk. Um, It was a lot of meat very early in the morning. It was 10 a.m., y'all. I hadn't had breakfast, and this very nice man brought us 10 samples of mead, and he kept pouring large samples. Anyway, it was lovely. It was. But I thought the barm was just the funniest word I had ever heard in my entire life at that juncture. It's a pretty good one. (laughs) Uh, back to the beer brewers. Yes. Uh, they tried out a bunch of different cultures and discovered that they, they tried them out with the bread. And they discovered that some made lighter, fluffier breads. And they take a piece of that dough from a batch they liked and then add some flour to keep it alive, a.k.a. a sourdough starter. Mm-hmm. And a quote from Lon Walter's book I really liked, uh, quote, Each starter has its own characteristic taste and smell. Many older starters are guarded by their owners as if they were a key to heaven. They are passed on generation to generation and rarely shared. Mm, and not, sti- not so friendly bread. No. <laughs> it's a different time. <laughs> but it does still kind of happen, and people give these family starters fun names like Clint Yeastwood. I enjoyed looking through those names. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah, there, there's, there's good lists out there. Um, and, of course, folks at this time had no idea 
why this was happening. You know, they, they just knew that if they took a little bit of this one thing that they made that turned out good and they put it into their next batch, that next batch turned out good too. Right. And going back to our mead guy briefly for a second, according to him, that's why we call spirit spirits. Oh, right, right. Because they didn't know what was happening that was causing the fermentation and the alcohol. Yeah. And it was kind of like you're praying to the spirits. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, the soul of the beer. Please please. make my beer beer and not just rotten barley water. (laughs) Right. This one thing is better than that other thing. (laughs) I really want you to help me out on this spirit. (laughs) I hope that that is true, but it's a fun story nonetheless. Yes. Thank you. Thank you to Justin of Monksmead for that that lovely story. Yes. Thank you, Justin. (laughs) So anyway, bread making and sourdough spread from ancient Egypt to ancient Greece sometime around 800 BCE. And at the time, it was a luxury only for the wealthy. And the baking of it was left completely to women. This was a fact that everywhere I read, they felt compelled to include. Yeah. Oh, beer at the time, too, I think, was, yes. was lady work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It wasn't until 800 BCE that written records of bakeries offering bread for sale pop up in ancient Greece. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. And then after contact with Greece, sourdough traveled to ancient Rome, where improved methods of kneading and baking made bread more widely available. And in 160 BCE, Cato the Elder detailed several different types of bread. Greece also spread sourdough to France sometime around the 4th century BCE. Greeks living in France noticed that if you replace the water in bread dough with the foam from a beer-like fermented drink, it produced a lighter, fluffier bread— and the cloudier the liquid, the better the end product. Uh, due to Paris's proximity to the major wheat-producing area of the region, it produced some of the country's first bakers. And at the time, all the bread they were baking was sourdough, both because it was all they knew fermentation-wise, and it was cheaper because you didn't need any expensive salt, thanks to the acidity. Uh, yeah, uh, salt also helps break down molecules in rising bread and, and in uh, uh, starters, uh, making it more flavorful, mm-hmm. tasty stuff. And then, ah, oh, one of our old friends. Pliny the Elder. Oh, he talked about a lot of things. He really did. He wrote in his <laughs> 77 CE-ish encyclopedia, Natural History, that, quote, Generally, however, they do not heat it up at all, but only use the dough kept over from the day before. Manifestly, it is natural for sourness to make the dough ferment, and likewise that people who live on fermented bread have weaker bodies, inasmuch as in old days— Outstanding wholesomeness was ascribed to wheat, the heavier it was. But, okay. Yeah. Uh, He also claimed that sourdough was better for health, which is true-ish due to the good bacteria. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, There is a teeny amount of research. Oh, yeah. Teeny. uh, Modern research, not like Pliny research. Yes. (laughs) I wonder what research Pliny was doing. I'm sure it was fascinating. (laughs) But according to a 2008 ACTA Diabetologica study and a 2011 study out of clinical gastroenterology and hepatology in Italy, indicating that due to the lower amount of gluten content in sourdough bread, it may be more tolerable for people with celiac disease. Oh, yeah. Small sample sizes, though. Mm. Um, it does produce a smaller surge of glucose than most other breads. Oh, well, that's good news. Yeah. So, grain of salt. Grain of salt it, but... <laughs> Uh, research does exist. <laughs> Around the same time, Pliny time, uh, Roman poet Junival wrote Satire 10, or the famous and recently Hunger Games repopularized phrase, Panem e Circenses, uh, 
our bread and circuses comes from. Okay, so that takes care of the ancient history. Mm-hmm. And we'll move on to some more modern stuff after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Hole. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Um, so so we, we divided up the ancient and the kind of modern history like that because, as it turns out, nothing really happened um, in the history of, of sourdough bread for, you know, a few millennia. Right. Until the rediscovery of brewer's yeast around the 14 to 1600s. In various parts of Europe, doing different stuff at different times. Um, right. uh, Germany kind of figured it out first, thanks to the close relationship between uh, brewing and baking in medieval monasteries. And uh, then in 17th century France, they found that the addition of brewer's yeast made a softer, fluffier bread than the um, then usual pain brie. Which they called pan mole. Yeah. The, the, new, the new fancy one with the brewer's yeast was called that other thing that Annie just said. <laughs> pan mole. That one. <laughs> um, it was also around this time that um, uh, Anthony van Leeuwenhoek, mm, mm-hmm. I, I saw it both Leeuwenhoek and Leeuwenhoek, so I'm not sure which one it should be. I'm sorry. Dutch. Uh, this dude, he, he developed uh, microscopic lenses that allowed him to observe stuff like bacteria and yeast, these, these tiny uh, single cellular organisms. Um, he didn't realize that they were alive at the time, but, um, but people did begin to realize, due to, due to this kind of research, that this yeast stuff was what made fermentation work. And also, apparently, there was a whole to-do in French Parliament about the health of brewer's yeast after doctors from the Paris University concluded used to be detrimental, mainly because, one, it was bitter, and two, the fact rotting water and barley was involved in this bitterness. Mm. So brewer's yeast was outlawed in 1668. But two years later, in 1670, it was mostly reversed, and brewer's yeast could once again be used in bread making in combination with sourdough. A written recipe from this time called for feeding and rising your sourdough starter three times. Two to three sourdough starters was the norm. At this point in time, huh? That's that's a lot of that's a lot of work. Yes. Um, and the replacement of millstones in mills with steel rollers in the 1700s made the flour refining process cheaper and helped shift bread from something that most people made at home to something more people, especially workers, preferred to buy. Um, and this, the, the the early bit of the industrial revolution, was the point around which. Bread baking really started moving out of the home and into commercial bakeries, in, in cities, anyway, in a widespread kind of way. And in 1840, an Austrian baker based in France discovered how to make bread without sourdough using only yeast fermentation called poulish. Uh, at the time, bakers were still getting their yeast cultures from brewers. 
And soon after, in 1854, a patent for manufacturing powdered yeast was issued. And by 1872, France had opened their first factory of grain-fermented yeast that was more consistent and had a longer shelf life, which, as you would guess, hit the sourdough industry pretty hard. Uh, Bread baking using the Polish method had been fairly common uh, by 1885, and sourdough bread became known as French bread. Yes. (laughs) Polish method, yeah, using yeast. Polish. Polish. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. It's also around this time that the American gold rush was underway, and prospectors and San Francisco bread was becoming a thing, but we will come back to that in a second. Yes. Uh, in the meanwhile, also around this this 1870-ish time, um, there was a weird resurgence of the idea that leavened bread is bad for you. Um, this time started in America. Um, you know, is baker's yeast toxic? Is anything associated with beer terrible? Are sour things on good? <gasps> News at 11. Um in, in 1852, a popular cookbook called Directions for Cookery and Its Various Branches decreed, all bread that is sour, heavy, or ill-baked is not only unpalatable, but extremely unwholesome and should never be eaten. These accidents so frequently happen when bread is made at home by careless, unpracticed, or incompetent persons. Strong, fresh yeast from the brewery should always be used in preference to any others. Wow. Those are some strong words. Right? I feel insulted. I know. Personally. So, I know, right? I'm like, sourdough is delicious and shut your face. Man, incompetent, <laughs> unpalatable. <laughs> like they have a word. Goodness. This person. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, in 1857, uh, Louis Pasteur published his initial findings about how yeast is is actually a living organism and that colonies of it must be alive in order to make fermentation happen. Right. Which is true, because dead yeast doesn't do a whole lot for you. No. Um, this did not help the freak out that some people were experiencing about leavened bread. Um, however, in the long run, everyone calmed down, and, and the this, this science let people uh, select the best yeasts and, and the best treatments for them in order to make better bread products. Um, today, strains of this very yeast that uh, that Louis was working with, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, um, are, are bred especially for quick growth in, in commercial baker's yeast. Right. And speaking of commercial baker's yeast, mm-hmm. in the 19th century, a combination of the development of commercial baker's yeast and in Europe, specifically, regulations preventing long hours or working at night meant that sourdough lost even more ground to breads that rose more quickly and consistently, like the baguette. Mm-hmm. Uh, people still baked in homes. Sourdough, yes. yes. And families still passed their starter cultures on in clay jugs. And an exception up to this was in Northern Europe where rye bread was popular. And sourdough worked as a leavening agent where baker's yeast did not because rye doesn't have enough gluten to become fluffy with yeast alone. Yeah. Uh, in 1964... Bread expert Raymond Calvel wrote, sourdough bread making does not exist anymore. Wow. Mm-hmm. People have dire things to say about sourdough. I know. Huh. They do not mince words. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until the 1980s that it would have a comeback, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to a demand for higher bread quality and also because in the 1970s, a dry sourdough entered the market. Pretty quickly sailing economically past sourdough starter cultures. Ah. 
This allowed sourdough to go from being a semi-hard-to-find-ish artisanal bread to something more widespread and commercially available. And in 1993, France and the U.K. issued regulations defining sourdough bread. Oh, regulations. I love them. (laughs) Yes. With stipulations like the bread must have a potential maximum pH of 4.3 and the acetic acid content must be at least 900 parts per million. Um, (laughs) Germany had a law differentiating between the more labor-intensive starter culture sourdough bread and sourdoughs made using dried sourdough. This kind of reminds me of champagne and how... Yeah. Specific they are with what it is. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. All of that. Um, uh, Scientists have worked to identify both the natural strains of yeasts and bacteria that make sourdough happen and also new strains that could be awesome. There is dizzyingly extensive research into these critters and their interactions. Um, More than 20 species of common yeasts and 50 species of common uh, lactic acid bacteria have been identified in different sourdough starters around the world. That's beautiful. It is. (laughs) Also beautiful is uh, the bit that we skipped over uh, about the San Franciscan history of sourdough specifically. And we'll get to that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm -hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia. 
and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, earlier, uh, we mentioned the Gold Rush and San Francisco sourdough, which you might have heard that the town is famous for. Yeah, I have to admit, when I think of sourdough, I think of San Francisco. Oh, I think of my belly. I don't know. Anyway, um... uh, (laughs) Uh, some some bakeries in San Francisco, as we said earlier, claim that they have kept their starters alive for more than 100 years. But to trace the city's history with sourdough, we have to go to Mexico. Oh. Yep. Uh, <laughs> when, when gold was discovered in the American River in Northern California in 1848, um, it kicked off the Great Gold Rush of 1849. This is not in Mexico yet. Um, uh, but it wasn't only rubes with no mining knowledge who were hoping to get rich quick who flooded into San Francisco at the time. Um, gold miners also came up from Mexico and Texas. And meanwhile, a whole bunch of French colonials had taken up residence in Mexico before the Republic's independence from Spain in the 1820s. And those French kids brought the tradition of sourdough bread with them to Mexico. This is great. Yeah. Um, side note. Uh, there's a story from the 1930s to 40s about the, the quality of, of Mexican sourdough. Phil Harris, who was the band leader and a performer on the Jack Benny program, famous radio show, television show, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, supposedly got his sourdough from this bakery in Tijuana that he just loved. It was the only place that he would buy his sourdough bread. Um, Right up until, on a return trip, he was stopped by customs agents who slashed open all of his sourdough loaves, looking for, as the article I found the story in put it, quote, contraband often associated with musicians. Hmm. (laughs) I wonder what that could be. Uh, no one knows. <laughs> it's cocaine. Um, <laughs> okay, anyway, um, back to the early uh, early to mid-1800s. Um, so uh, through, through these French colonialists, sourdough spread throughout certain parts of the Southwest. And so when uh, Mexican and Texan miners came up to Northern California during the gold rush, they in turn brought it there with them. Um, and they shared the starters and, and the method with the other miners there. They, they'd keep a pot of starter or a little ball of starter dough with them wherever they camped and bake sourdough bread, biscuits, or flapjacks in their Dutch ovens or iron skillets over campfires. Mm. One of the people who would obtain some of the sourdough starter was Isidore Bodin, a French immigrant from a long line of bakers. He, he really dug this starter and started using it in his breads when he opened the Bodin Bakery in 1849, which is sometimes hailed as the first sourdough bakery in the area. There's a little bit of contention there. Uh, the owners of Colombo Baking Company across the bay in Oakland say they were the first people making sourdough. Um, at any rate, at least a dozen uh, French bread, as they were called bakeries, that were selling sourdough, which was being called French bread still in some places, mm-hmm. um, what would open in the area by 1854. Uh, a, a dozen among the, like, 63 total bakeries that the city hosted suddenly by then because Gold Rush. Right. Super wild. Um, and sourdough's popularity with the mining population would ensure its continued sale, um, even through all of the big baker's yeast trends that we were talking about um, in the coming decades. There's a there's a story about uh, Budin's bakery uh, during the big quake of 1906 in San Francisco and and the fires that spread in its aftermath. Budin's widow, Louise, saved this, this family starter by throwing some of it in a wooden bucket before she fled. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The, the bakery is still open today. You can go check it out and yeah. argue with my pronunciation of its name. I went there when I went to visit my little yeah. brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I've never been. Oh, it was so good. Oh, I also I went to Tartine. Oh. Delicious. All the sourdoughs. Yeah. Oh, now I want to. Okay. San Francisco was like baking tour for Annie. I went, I woke, I woke up at like 4 a.m. to hit all the bakeries where <laughs> they sold out of things. Oh, man. I think I missed that entirely. I think I was on like a fish. I mean, every time I'm in California, I'm like sushi and avocados. Just um. them in my face. Maybe next time. Okay, next time, next time. Bakery There's a lot tour. of good bakeries there. Oh, I believe you. Oh, but uh, but back to the past. Yes, uh, during the uh, during the Klondike Gold Rush of the 1890s, uh, miners from Northern California headed north and brought sourdough with them again, um, and and they brought it with them so characteristically that a nickname for these prospectors was the sourdoughs. <laughs> um, some stories say that the nickname came from their tendency to to keep their starter literally on their person, like using their body heat to maintain the culture in the freezing weather. Uh, Ruth Allman wrote in a whole book dedicated to this topic that, quote, a true Alaskan sourdough would as soon spend a year in the hills without his rifle as to tough it through without his bubbling sourdough pot. That's so great. I know. 
Starting around 1969, a couple microbiologists set out to catalog the yeasts and bacteria that make San Francisco sourdough so special. They found that the, the yeast uh, most usually happening in San Francisco bread is uh, Candida millari. Millari, maybe. Either one. And uh, they identified a new species of lactic acid bacteria called Lactobacillus sanfrancisensis. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Congrats, San Francisco. I know, right? You're bacteria famous. Yes. Uh, the, the yeast is is particularly tolerant of acids and doesn't eat maltose, uh, a type of sugar, which the bacteria needs to live. Lactobacillus sanfrancisensis is not unique to San Francisco, though. Um, it has since been identified in sourdoughs around the world. Wow. It's getting around. I know. Traveling, going places. <laughs> it was first identified in San Francisco. Ah, uh, okay. It's not, it's not necessarily native to there. Um, also, in case you had no idea, like me, um, that the mascot of San Francisco 49ers, you know, Gold Rush of 49, mm-hmm. is still Sourdough Sam. He's kind of like Prospector Dude. I don't, I don't know things. I hope he has a pail and it has sourdough bread in it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hope he just throws loaves of bread at people. I would go I would go. I to would definitely go game. to that game. I oh. would just have like a bucket <laughs> <laughs> shoveling all Catching the loaves yeah. I could in yeah. there. Like a Mardi Gras parade, but just bread. Yes. Oh, that's so much better than beads. All right, so that's. A whirlwind tour of sourdough history. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of topics that we didn't go into that are kind of glancing through that, a lot of stuff about yeast and, and other things um, that we will have to cover mm-hmm. during other episodes because it's super fascinating and it's so much. It's so much. There's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, now let's talk about if you want to make like your own sourdough. Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's really easy to start a, a starter culture. In theory. Um, <laughs> a friend gave me a starter culture in college, but I forgot to feed it, and it died before I used it in anything. And also, I've never admitted this to her. Oh, So oh. we'll see if she listens. I, <laughs> Get an angry email. Oh, no. um, so much for friendship bread. Oh, It's also called friendship bread sometimes, by the way. If you, if, if you had never heard that, it's called friendship bread because yeah. you can share your starter with a friend. Right. And hopefully you're a better friend than I. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 let a, I let a starter culture die once, too. <laughs> it's, it is really sad. I've heard it compared to, like, pets or houseplants. Oh, no. <laughs> you got to yeah. keep it alive. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, if you're better at it than Lauren and I, apparently, <laughs> or if you live in Stockholm where they have sourdough hotels and will house it your starter for $3 a day. That's nothing. <laughs> That's so crazy. I love that there's a hotel. Um, <laughs> and you want to try your hand at making sourdough, here's what you would do. Uh, you just mix equal parts flour and water, like one cup each, maybe a pinch of sugar. Um Put them in a clear bowl. Some people also add a pinch of salt. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you mix them together. Uh, if, if, if you want to, you can also add a packet of dry yeast to, to, to get things started. But you don't have to. Like, like if, you, if you leave it alone, it will hypothetically catch wild yeast that's just hanging out in the air around you. That's so cool. And, and wild uh, uh, lacto, lactobacillus bacteria of some kind or another. Um, uh, but yeah, so so you just you just mix the stuff together in a in a clear bowl, cl- clear so that you can kind of really see what's going on in there, and cover it with a clean cloth like a dish towel, and just let it hang out at room temperature for a few days. 
uh, stir it once or twice a day, and feed it a couple tablespoons each of flour and water every day. I know these are all really precise directions, but that's I'm kind of combining a number of a number of theories that I saw about how best to do this. <laughs> theories. I, I think I think a lot of it are in instructions. <laughs> um, I, I think I think a, a lot of people are. It's, it's just like try it and see what works for you in your environment. Uh, yeah, I I saw someone use. Uh, she said she used yogurt. Huh. Oh yeah, to get the, the bacteria in there. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I I bet that would that would sure do it. I I kind of love that you use in general sourdough recipes feeding. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Oh, yeah. It does sound like a creature. It's a pet. Yeah, it's it's a delicious pet. <laughs> My that little sometimes sourdough pet. You put in the oven and bake. <laughs> well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I put my pet in the oven. Oh, you're not putting all of your pet in the oven. Just part of it. I'm getting attached to it like <laughs> a, a hypothetical starter. I don't even have. <laughs> so, um, so you, you'll know you'll know it's like done um, when it, it's uh, developed a froth on the top and, and that characteristic kind of kind of good sour smell. And once that happens, you, you can plop. Uh, you can just plop it in a jar and store it in the fridge to slow the growth of the yeast. Uh, just just cover cover it loosely, and uh, that's basically it. You uh, you want to feed it a little more flour and water once a week. Um, if, if you're keeping it, you can also keep it out if you want to. Uh, um, I, I think, especially here in America, people are really really keen on keeping things in the refrigerator. Um, but you can hypothetically keep it out just room temperature if you want to. If you do, feed it every day. Okay, um, that's where I went wrong. Yeah. I did not refrigerate mine. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, if, if you refrigerate it, feed it about once a week. Um, and as the container gets full, you can just, like, take a lump out and throw it out. Hmm. Sorry, that unlucky arm of the starter culture. Now it's just going to grow in the garbage can. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it would. I mean, I actually, maybe lucky arm of the of the yeast because it's not getting baked ever. That's true. <laughs> that is true. So, yeah, that's that, That's about it. Um, I, I want to go home and try this now. I've never tried it before. Yeah. I've been looking at recipes to try. Uh, I want to see what I would get if I if I don't add anything in, if I just do the pure flour, water, sugar, salt mm-hmm. recipe. And how long does it take? I don't know. An experiment. Oh, I need to set up a GoPro. Oh, I wonder if I could borrow a GoPro. Yeah, and do a time lapse. <sighs> and if you do, I mean, if ah. you do, you could, in theory, keep it decades, like we said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if anyone tries it out, let us know. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have your own family recipe, let us know. Yes, please. Uh, and like most things, there are so many variations Oh yeah. of this. You can also buy sourdough cultures from around the world from sites like Sourdoughs International. Uh, they had, I, I was looking at it earlier, and uh, there was one on there called Tasmanian Devil. And it, was like, what? <laughs> it was from Australia, and it was like, this wild yeast will... <laughs> <laughs> Make any bread more interesting. It was. Uh, I would recommend just going to look at the the yeast strains. They're pretty affordable too. Um, also, uh, sourdough isn't just for bread, which I kind of mentioned with the prospectors. But you can use it in biscuits, pancakes, regular cakes, all kinds of stuff to add flavor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are so many variations of like strains of sourdough that North Carolina state biologist Rob Dunn started the Sourdough Project in 2016 
my favorite fact of the episode, uh, <laughs> where he and some fellow researchers are asking home bakers to submit their starters for DNA sequencing, yeah. pH and enzyme level testing, and what? other biochemistry markers. That's so cool. I know. I was so happy reading this. <laughs> they want to know things like if feeding a starter water versus milk makes a difference, the impact of the climate, the impact of the baker— Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So supposedly, um, uh, I, I read somewhere that, that the theory is that any of the, the lacto, uh, lactic acid bacteria that get into your starter dough come from your hands. Yes. And they think that there might be a difference between male and female bakers. What? Yeah. And they're in the summer, this summer— Summer 2017, the Sourdough Project is planning a sourdough bake-off with 20 different bakers and 20 different starters, DNA sequence the starters, bake some bread, and compare the results. I cannot tell you how excited (laughs) I was reading about this, and I was already planning on going to such a joyous occasion in the name of science. But it's in Belgium. Oh, Oh, hey, boss, do you want to send us to Belgium? Please, come on. It's for Um, science. I know. I hope that they that somehow the sourdough project hears about this and they're like, we gotta we gotta fund these girls to come with us. We should get in touch with them. We should. Or um, you know, I mean we can stay I'm we're both compact. We could probably fit in someone's suitcase. I am willing to travel via suitcase. <laughs> if I can see In the name this of thing. sourdough. Yeah. <sighs> All those kinds of sourdough. Oh. Okay. Yes. And the final note on that I will leave you with is that the questionnaire for when you submit your starter is adorable. So cute. <laughs> it makes your, it really does make your starter sound like a pet. <laughs> That's Sourdough Project. You can look it up. Yes. And I, I think that's that's sourdough. That in a in a in a very in a very compact ball of bread dough. Stuff. (laughs) Sounds so appetizing. I know. Mm. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of this classic episode. Yes. uh, And I promised some updates. Uh, One isn't an update so much as a thing that we missed in our research. Um, There is a, well, okay, maybe we missed it. Maybe uh, it was just the, the news was not so much public as much as it is now when a lot of articles are being written about sourdough. But uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. so there's sourdough library in Belgium. What? Created in 2013 to help bakeries preserve their strains. Um, They currently have about 125 specimens from 25 countries, which they keep chilled and uh, feed with the original flour supplied every year by the uh, the bakeries. Um, Some are fed with other things. There's apparently... One sourdough starter from Mexico that's refreshed with lime, eggs, and beer. <laughs> beer. <laughs> I love this. Oh, I love that's so it. Great. Furthermore, um, an update. Uh, it, it seems uh, we, we talked about um, about bakers and the uh, the microbes that they have in their hands and how those might influence sourdough starters. And it seems from research that's just come out over the past couple of years. That it's it's not it's not that the microbes on bakers' hands influencing sourdough as much as it is the process of making sourdough that influences the microbes that wind up on bakers' hands. So like you oh. can you can always tell a baker by what kind of microbe uh, culture they've got going on their skin. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, and that experiment that we talked about happening in Belgium um, yes. in 2017. Uh, so we did not get to go, sadly. Ah. Um, did not come through. But the uh, hosts of the excellent podcast Gastropod did get to go. I'm only a little bit burningly jealous. Um, <laughs> just a tad. Just a tad. Just a tad. But but yeah, uh, so if you want to hear all about how that went down, um, go listen. I mean, you should be listening to them anyway. If you dig us, uh, you'll love them. Um, their episode, uh, Secrets of Sourdough, is where they talk all about that. So, oh, it's great. It's great. And mm-hmm. um, and if, if you, I mean, Annie or any listeners, do wind up making a wild-caught sourdough starter, um, you can tell researchers about it for science. Uh, like the, the the lines are open. Um, uh, you can Google Wild Sourdough Project or head on over to robdunlab.com. That's R-O-B-D-U-N-N-L-A-B.com. Um, and it's this team of researchers that are collecting data about wild sourdough strains from around the world and are and are doing interesting, interesting stuff with uh with with microbiology surrounding it. That's so cool. They'll probably look at mine and be like, is this lines from Star Wars and Harry Potter somehow? <laughs> Is sourdough starter? <laughs> What's going on in this apartment? <laughs> None of your business. <laughs> Pretty much what it looks like, in yes. fact. <laughs> yes. I don't know how much clearer I need to be. My sourdough absorbed all the entertainment choices I'm making. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I think I really like it. I think it's going to be like a fun project. I'm debating the names already. Ooh, oh, um, I so look forward to finding out what name you settle on for your sourdough. Oh, yeah. The pun level is going to be off the chain, I suspect. <laughs> and speaking of, uh, we would love to hear how your starters are going, listeners, how mm-hmm. it turned out, bread that you got from it, what the names are, if you mm-hmm. named them. And you can email us at hello at saferpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tag us in your photos. Let us know what's going on. Uh, uh, We do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring 
Bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. 